Shehan J. Raj. Shehan, are we going to have baseball? Are you going to get down to Florida and get this thing fig- figured out? Get these millionaires and these billionaires in a room and get this thing resolved? <laughs> Man, if, uh, if I can do that, they better pay me a lot more than paying me now because it's unbelievable, honestly. I mean, I know that every couple of years we have this with baseball and with a lot of sports, but there really seems to be such little urgency, especially on the side of the owners. I mean, they seem very comfortable uh, missing games and kind of bleeding players out. And, you know, the thing that's kind of unique about baseball in a lot of ways is that because of the farm system and because of just the way that salaries are distributed, like a lot of players can't afford to just not play for a long time, you know? So I, I'm, I'm very curious how this all resolves itself. It seems like, uh, the owners are, are perfectly willing to kind of play a game of chicken and wait for the players to fold. But, uh, you know, I mean, this only happens once every couple of years, and it doesn't seem like it's going to end well. All right, uh, let's let's get into some serious stuff here. Uh, I, I just want to get your overall thoughts and impressions on Art Brawls to Grambling, Art Brawls not to Grambling. Yeah, yeah. So I, I made the joke on Twitter yesterday. I'm pretty sure I've written this story like three or four times now since 2016. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I think that this is kind of the way that things are going to go for him. And, you know, it, it was such a weird situation. Obviously, first of all, announcing him at the outset of potentially a world war, <laughs> you know, I think that that was a first warning sign that maybe uh, Grambling State wasn't too excited about what they were doing. Uh, and then also not releasing a statement, not publicly announcing it. They only announced it uh, through an interview with a local TV news station, and, and they didn't actually release anything publicly through the school. And then you have this weird story with Hugh Jackson Foundation releasing their own statements and uh, and saying that they, you know, basically don't question it, and and then you know saying basically almost admitting to tax fraud in some ways on on their twitter timeline it's just such a bizarre situation and unfortunately that's kind of what this call has turned into for uh, for art Bryles. you know i i do believe that he does primarily just want to coach football i do believe that he just enjoys doing it um but you know i i just think that for a number of reasons this probably isn't going to happen for him he's getting up there in age i i think that this might have been uh, his last opportunity and then you know we kind of see what happens is there a scenario where you see him coaching at any level ever again? Yeah, so, I mean, he was, of course, coaching at the high school level back in 2019 and 2020, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him do something like what he did back in 2017, I think it was, where he goes overseas and coaches in Italy. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him, you know, maybe get some look in, in Canada or something like that, but I certainly would be surprised to see him have an opportunity at the collegiate level, especially at the Division One level. You know, I mean, I know that Grambling State is obviously an FCS team, but there's still a lot of attention, there's still a lot of eyeballs, uh, and there's still a lot of people to hold you accountable in even the state legislature. So, I, I think that uh, that at the collegiate level, it's very, very unlikely that we see Art Bryles. And, and again, I mean, he's, he's not a young man anymore. I believe he's 65 or 66 at this point. So, at some point, I think he's probably just going to have to give up. All right, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your alma mater. I guess you got to be jazzed up about how both basketball teams are going right now. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the women. I, obviously, moving up to number five in the country and winning their first Big 12 championship under Nikki Collin. I mean, when, when you saw them lose their first two games of conference play, I think that it was difficult to say that this was a team that legitimately had a chance to be you know, sort of a national championship contender. You know, it seemed like things were struggling to come together at times. They didn't seem on the same page all the time. But you're really starting to see some of that pay off. And 
obviously when Nikki Collin came in, uh, you know, Kim Mulkey and, and Nikki Collin are both great coaches, but could not be more different in terms of how they run their offenses. And uh, I think that we're starting to see sort of this modern type offense, a lot of jump shooting, a lot of, uh, you know, spacing is a huge part of the game. I think it's starting to really come together. And, uh, you know, the other thing too, right, is that I think that Melissa Smith has just taken her game to another level and, and she's going to have a chance to be a first team All-American. She's going to have a chance to be a contender, at least for national player of the year. I, I think it's really impressive how she's finished out the season. And so they're going to have a great chance to head into the tournament as a one or two seed and, and have a chance to go all the way. And on the men's side, I mean, to jump from number 10 in the country to number three after beating Oklahoma State and Kansas, picking up another top 25 win against Texas, another uh, obviously Q1 win as well. They're, they're putting themselves in a great position. You know, I was a little surprised that they jumped up seven spots in the AP poll. But the thing that I will say is that when you look at net rating, when you look at uh, a lot of these bracket projections, Baylor's been on the one or two line the entire time. They never fell as low as number 10 and getting to that three line. And so I think that this is a little bit of a course correction in some ways from the AP voters. But, uh, you know, tremendous testament to them. I mean, and again, the funny thing about it, I said this last week, I feel like we're still not seeing the best of Baylor basketball. I feel like we're seeing a team that's kind of just getting by in a lot of ways. But I think that they've really found something with, uh, you know, with running Jeremy Sohan at the, at the five. I think that they've really found something. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, that Adam Flagler is starting to get his groove back a little bit, which is huge for this team. And by the way, they're still waiting on their second leading for LJ Cryer to come back. So there's still another dimension there, I think. And, uh, and I think the sky's the limit in a lot of ways. When you look at this conference as we get just to the end of it, and we said all along that this was the best conference uh, in the country, does that still stand? And how far is the gap? Yeah, I think that it definitely still stands. I mean, you, you still got six or seven teams that have a chance to make the NCAA tournament out of 10. Uh, I think Oklahoma State would have a great chance to make the NCAA tournament if they were eligible for it, which obviously they're not because of NCAA sanctions. Uh, you know, and then the other thing, too, is that I think that you have multiple legitimate national championship contenders and multiple legitimate elite eight contenders coming out of this conference. You know, I think uh, it would not be a shock to me at all if any of, of Kansas, Baylor or Texas Tech were playing in a national championship game. It would not shock me at all if Texas found a way to, to play into the elite eight. It wouldn't shock me at all if Oklahoma found a way to, to go on a run. So, you know, I, I think that it's just been such an impressive conference all year long. And you know, the thing that you, you say about it, that's the most unbelievable thing, is that any road game in the Big 12 this year, all 10 of the teams that you play against, any road game is a, is considered a quadrant one win. So, you know, you look at this number of, of Baylor having the most quadrant one wins with 12. I mean, they're playing so many tough games week in and week out. And, and for them to be as impressive as they are, I, I think really says a lot about this team. And, you know, when you talk about the gap, I mean, gosh, I, I think that, you know, the ACC is really down this year. The SEC is not all that great this year. The Big Ten solid, but they don't have as much strength at the top, I wouldn't say. Uh, you know, the Big East is, is looking real, real solid this year. But I think that that's kind of where you have to go. And, and I think that there's a pretty big gap between the Big 12 and the rest of the other conferences in college basketball. Shayhan, <clears throat> Georgia interviewed Eric Mateos, trying to get him to come over there from Baylor. What are your thoughts on uh, – this is probably going to be something we see regular. You know, people try to come after Mateos and even Grimes. What does it say about the Baylor program right now that, you know, he's choosing Baylor over Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to to hold off Georgia, I mean, look, you know, I'm not saying that Eric Mateus would have absolutely 100% have been the choice, but to have him kind of pull his name out as well, it, it's a testament to the staff that Baylor has built there. And it's a testament 
to how committed that the staff is to Baylor. You know, I think that this is uh, in some ways the first real win of the Dave Aranda tenure or the the contract extension, rather, right? Just saying, you know, he's going to be around. We want you to be around. We feel like we can accomplish something special here. And and for Eric Mateos himself, you know, I mean, look, he has four starters coming back on the offensive side of the ball. He's got some players waiting in the wings that I think will have a great chance to step up and become starters. I think that he knows that he has a chance of a special unit next year. And, you know, so I think that it's a real testament that, you know, George is one of those jobs, especially, I mean, especially at offensive line. <laughs> I mean, that's their signature position on offense in a lot of ways. You know, so for Eric Mateus to pull his name out of the running and, and decide to stay in Waco, I think that's a huge deal for Baylor. And and like you said, this, this is going to happen every year. And the one thing that I'll say, right, is that with the, you know, the exploding profits and the exploding revenue in the SEC and, and uh, and Big Ten, you know, there's going to be a lot of programs that think that they can walk into Waco and take away coaches. And uh, to this point, it hasn't happened. You know, I mean, it, it's been very rare for that to happen. It does happen. I mean, you know, receivers coach Chancey Stuckey did end up at Notre Dame. But I think for Baylor to be able to pay to keep some of their key assistants, some of the guys who really make the engine go, I think it's been impressive so far, and I expect them to, to keep trying to do that. College football, we were. I was just looking at an article uh, on CBSSports.com. Uh, college football attendance is down significantly, in my opinion, 15%. Is that all COVID-19 related, in your opinion, or is there some other factors? Yeah, I mean, I think that it all just adds up, right? I, mean, I, think, that, uh, I think that certainly COVID plays a part. I think that certainly, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a decrease of, uh, of attendance on college campuses as well, which I think plays a part. But the other thing, too, is that, you know, in a lot of ways, the television product is so good these days that it does make things difficult. And so I think in college football right now, you're you're just kind of dealing with the same issues that everybody's dealing with in sports, which is, you know, obviously people having so many options to watch games, people not wanting to pay as much as they have to to, to watch games. And, uh, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, like, I think that's a little bit of an existential issue for, for college football, especially for some of these major teams who, uh, you know, are maybe not putting together the sellouts that they used to. So I do, I do think that it's a lot of factors, but I do think that um, that more than anything else, you know, I think that college football programs are going to have to start working on, on fan experience and also trying to just make it affordable because that's really been one of the biggest things that we've heard is that, you know, college football is starting to become more and more unaffordable. Spring practice is about to get started all across the country, and how how much movement do you expect? It, let's just say the Big Twelve. How much movement do you expect after spring training in the transfer portal? I think there will be a wave, but I think that it probably won't be as big of a wave as that first wave. And and the reason that I say that is that there are still a lot of players left in the transfer portal. You know, I mean, we're talking hundreds of players who transferred from FBS institutions who have not found a home as yet. And so I think that there, there's going to be a decent amount of additions. I think I'm just curious, you know, it, it's going to be, I think more guys who expect to play right away, right? It's going to be guys who they lose a quarterback battle and think maybe they can transfer to a, a lower level school or something like that. I don't think we're going to see as many sort of these like fringe roster players who, uh, who decide to transfer out because there just aren't spots for them. And I think that, you know, if, if you're getting any of these kids advice right now, I think that you have to look at that situation. You have to look at how few spots are available, how few scholarships are available, the likelihood that you're going to be able to stick in FBS or Division One. So it, I do think it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be a lot more targeted maybe than some of the, the ways that happened back in December. 
Shayhan, how cool was it to see what Caleb Williams was able to do with that NIL money and, and support the women's basketball team at USC by giving them those beats? Yeah, so I mean, I think that's great. And I mean, I think that it's, uh, first of all, it's assessment to him. I think that, you know, certainly whenever you transfer from a school and go through everything that he went through, a lot of people say a lot of things about you. But, you know, from what it sounds like, from what you hear from people, you know, when he was at Oklahoma, this has kind of been who he is. You know, he wants to kind of spread the wealth in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, this is really cool. And I think that this is also something that is what NIL is all about, right? Is that Caleb Williams obviously has a big brand, but he also wants to use it to help, uh, you know, kind of help other programs and other teams and other players build their brand as well. And so I think that's great. You know, I mean, I think, I think to me, at its core, NIL is about creating value for yourself and creating brand for yourself. And I think that even just this story coming up, you know, people are going to be paying attention to USC women's basketball in a lot of ways because of this story. And I know that he's going to show up at games too, and that's going to help as well. So I, I think it's great. I think it's what NIL is all about. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to see if, uh, if people keep doing it. Jay, how, what else do you got going on from uh, CBSSports.com? Yeah, we're just, uh, we're prepping for the start of fall camps right now. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a quiet period, but uh, obviously, obviously the, uh, the Art Bryle story gave us a little something to talk about this past week. But, uh, you know, camp start c- coming up in the next couple of days. Once we get into March, we really get into it, and uh, we're just excited to get started. As always, man, it is a pleasure. We appreciate your time today. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. That is Shehan Jayaraja.